0: Welcome to CIO Leadership Live UK. I'm Lee Rennick, Executive Director, CIO Communities for CIO.com. And I'm very excited to welcome Freddie Quek, CTO, Times Higher Education. Freddie, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your current role. Hi,
1: Lee. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to learn and share with the uh, CIO Leadership uh, community. I'm the uh, Chief Technology Officer at Times Higher Education. So we are well known for the World University Rankings. Uh, We are, in the past, a traditional publishing company uh, serving the higher education sector, but uh, now we are a data company. So we do all kinds of uh, interesting things with data. One of the most recent ones is that uh, we we developed this thing called the SDG uh, Rankings, where it helps uh, the higher education institutions to measure themselves against the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. So we not only work with uh, those organizations, but we're also working with uh, governments and uh, also uh, corporates.
0: Oh, fantastic. So a lot of cross-sector work. I really appreciate you sharing that with me, Freddie. And I appreciate you joining us today very, very much. We've created this series to support technology leaders in their leadership and tech journey. So the first question, I ask everyone this question. Can you please tell us a little bit about your own career path and provide some insights or tips on that road path? Are there any lessons learned that you could share?
1: Uh sure. I I think um I may describe myself as a fairly so sort of come from a traditional route into you know my IT career. I grew up in Singapore. I started playing games with a uh, Radio Shack TRS AT computer. Uh but then I started taking night classes uh by adults when I was a student uh because I wanted to study computing and there was no such thing in Singapore in those days. Um, so I then came to the UK, uh, thanks to the BCS for having a higher education qualification that allows me to go and uh, do my my postgraduate diploma and followed by my master's at the London School of Economics. And whilst I was studying there, I found myself a part-time job. It was a choice of working for either McDonald's or working for this publishing company where in those days there was no computers, there was no internet. And I was, so lucky to be in an industry where it was the first industry to be completely disrupted by 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 uh, digital technology, first from CD-ROM to the internet, and I've seen a lot of great stuff. So I'm so delighted to have the opportunity to spend a large part of my career, to see all that transformation in an industry that's been around for a long time. You know, publishing is around for more than five hundred years, and it keeps evolving. and And then is you know to see how technology can truly change the industry is really, really, I, I feel so fortunate to be part of that. But then after, you know, nearly three decades, I decided to get out from the industry uh, just because I feel that uh, maybe, you know, my skills is transferable to other in the industries. And I'm so glad that I have done that because in my last eight years, I've, I felt that number one, I've been exposed to a lot more industry sectors than ever before. It used to be just the one for nearly three decades. But I've learned so much during this period. You know I've been in travel, loyalty, insurance, financial services, automotive, and now higher education. I've learned so much. So tips in terms of uh, on on this road path, be curious, right? Not be afraid to learn and ask questions. You know, in fact, most of the time I feel like um I do not know much, but then, on the other hand, I think that is the nature of our role, which is to keep learning, and if you're in, you're willing to invest time, you become the expert. But just so you know, that that, you know, just like the Andy Warhol thing, right? Your 15 minutes of fame is really 15 minutes of fame because the next thing will come along and then you no longer become the expert. So any lessons to be shared. Um, as I said, no one knows everything. And this is why being part of this community is great because this is how I learned so much from my peers. They have gone through a lot of similar challenges. And there'll be some things that I have done that I can share with them and vice versa something they would have done and I think through this collective community that's how we learn and share with each other
0: well I thank you for um, providing some information on your own career journey and I love the idea that it started off with like playing with technology so that idea of play and then you got into like figuring out how can I learn this and then that idea of continuous learning throughout your career but obviously that opportunity to connect with others too because as you said, you can be the expert for a while on something and if you don't continue to learn and play and, and also connect, right? That's such a big important, important part of it. So I really um, appreciate you sharing that. And it really segues into the next question very well, which is I wanted to talk to you about joining the dots. So when we last spoke, we talked about the importance uh, of technology and as a technology leader to find your tribe and the importance of learning and sharing, which you just talked about a little bit. Um, so we talked a little bit about the difficulties of networking prior to COVID and then how post COVID and during COVID technology really helped you to build your tribe. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, so, so let's just take ourselves back a bit to the beginning. You know, I, I mentioned about being in the publishing industry for nearly three decades. What I found really interesting was that I knew nobody that was doing what I do until the last few years before I got out from the industry. And that's where a number of us uh, started forming this thing called the Publishing Leaders Forum. And I'm so delighted that that forum has continued to exist today. So every year people will still come together and it's not more than just publishing leaders, it's just pretty much the publishing industry coming together where we learn about different, you know, how we solve same problems you know, in different ways. Um, and, and this is an example where that was my tribe that I found where most of us have been solving the same problem in isolation. So that's pre-COVID, right? Um, and now you can see that was also the beginning of the tech sector being well-known to be promoting this concept of a, an ecosystem, concept of being open. Those are very important principles in the world today because if you look at the level of innovation that's been driven from being open, it's fantastic, mm-hmm. right? And then that's why there's a lot of things that others can learn from the tech sector. So that's one. Now, when you talk about COVID, so pre-COVID, I, I think it was very hard for people to, you know, there was a way of working, way of building relationships, way of engaging. If I do not know you, I need to find ways to know of you. And I may have to knock at your door, turn up at your office just to have a conversation. And most of us are too busy, right? So that rarely happens. But with COVID, it changes completely. We can just, hey, how are you? Can we jump on a Zoom call and have a chat? And and it was just um it was just opportunistic that during this period when we as technology professionals take granted for granted that we know how to use technology, I see my children you know struggling to to get online to have their education and and this is my children who who, who has gone to a pretty decent school with a father who is an IT professional and when I see that them struggle, it makes me think about what happens to others and this is where a number of leaders Came together and say, hey, um, could we help these three schools in the northeast of the UK? Sunderland, one of the most deprived parts of the country, they need 150 devices and, and they're really struggling. Can we set up a campaign to help them? Just to divide the or, or donate devices? And you know what? Uh, it was very difficult. Mm. Uh, but to cut a long story short, what was then interesting was that uh, this this, therefore, you know, I talk about being curious. I say, look, how can we not? possibly solve this small problem 150 devices when there are so many it leaders involved doing all kinds of things such as social media campaign you know doing youtube things that you know none of us like to do right but we had to put ourselves out there because we thought we we're trying to do something good but it was because of that that i was able to very quickly over a three-week period talk to 60 leaders and then i realized that i've now got a lot of data a lot of evidence a lot of insights from my peers what do i do with that Right? So now I realize that I have actually got a tribe. And, so this, and, and I will come to that later about the research that I do. But it was because of first COVID, because of the technology, because of this curiosity of trying to understand and solve a problem. This is how now I feel that I have found my tribe. And uh, by the way, my, my tribe, which is the IT uh, leaders communities, there's no such thing as one place to find them. There are many places. Okay, and this uh, this uh, community, the CIO community that, that, um, that I'm participating in is one of those communities.
0: Well, I think it's so important, and, and you're right, prior to COVID, you know, there were a lot of issues with, you're right, you'd have to call someone or send them an email and try and connect, and some of the CIOs I spoke with um, in Canada, when, you know, after COVID, when I was doing CIO Leadership Live, talked about, just the transformation everybody had to make during COVID like just to understand the technology transformation as you you mentioned earlier it's always so disruptive and this was a total disruption to how to work together so the ability to just touch base with someone connect and say hey are you going through this how do i switch my retail operations from bricks and mortar to completely online what are you doing there was this sense of camaraderie so it seems like you've brought this even further together with really Looking at you know building technology for good to support you know individuals who don't always have access to it, and um, I appreciate you you know sharing that with us. So I wanted to talk a little bit about because we did talk about research and how important it is, and you've been working on a doctorate on how the technology leader needs to be ambidextrous in the digital economy as a leader. Can you please tell us a little bit about your research and the work you're doing in this area to pro- to provide evidence-based knowledge to support the modern tech leader?
1: As I mentioned before, being in one industry for a long time, I've seen a lot of changes, right? And as a leader who has seen all that evolution, you know, there were some questions that I keep asking, which is um, how can we help organizations especially with technology which is our area of expertise and domain um, when you can see its impact on every level from the business model to the operating model and also we are key actors in the organization to help with that but I also see a lot of challenges uh, that challenges where organizations somehow are still dealing with understanding all these sort of evolving pace of technological changes, what does it mean for them? And there's a lot of fear. There's also a lot of uh, not willing, almost like a a sort of a denier in, in fact, because it's like, okay, it doesn't impact my lifetime, so I'm not gonna worry about it kind of thing, right? And I was curious, but I also felt very frustrated by the fact that, but why can't I be more, more uh, uh, effective in helping my organization and therefore, it sort of makes me realize that there are many factors so i thought hey you know from speaking to my peers we've sort of learned each other and we are all opinion leaders right you know we are being asked to provide an opinion on on anything and everything and of course we are all capable of doing that but i just felt that uh maybe it might be better if it's a bit more it can be a bit more impactful if if it's data driven right we talk about being a data-driven world it's got evidence behind it so this is why i thought okay maybe Freddie, not just being an opinion leader, by the way, things keep changing anyway, but what if you do something that will help to give back to your industry? And that's the reason why I thought, okay, maybe doing this piece of research would help me because first, when I look at the literature, there's been 50 years of rich research into this area of organizations trying to balance this dual need of running and changing at the same time. And it's really difficult and not yeah. many has succeed. So that is a real problem that's been around for a long time. And then when I look at um, technology leaders trying to help, many leaders say to me, but we can't because either the culture is not there or we're not part of the top table. So there are a lot of factors that get in the way. And I'm hoping that through my research, it will provide some insights from not just the literature, but from peers who have been successful, who's got good stories, who's got things that's gone wrong, who's got war stories to tell. And how can we find a way to package it up so that it can help other peers, it can also help the next generation of leaders coming in. Because when I went through all this process, I felt very alone. I felt that there was nobody to turn to. But now with my peers, collectively, we can do something for our community and our profession.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I just interviewed the CIO of NATO, Manfred Boudreaux-Dema, a few days ago, and he talked about the way there, you know, cross sector collaboration is so important. And that includes, obviously, you know, working in the public sector, working in the private sector, but academia. So, you know, what you're lending here, as you said, data is really important to this sector. You're ensuring that you're gathering that data, you're validating it, and then you're providing support, overall knowledge and support for people working within the field. So congratulations on that. That must just be completely phenomenal experience to, to be doing your doctorate. And I look forward to hopefully being able to read your research or some of your research in the future. Um, So I wanted to talk about, um, we've been talking a little bit about technology for good and, you know, we did have a long conversation about something that you call PSR, which is personal social responsibility. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you're working to create awareness and movement around how organizations and leaders can support technology equity for people in the UK?
1: I I think uh, these days there's a lot of awareness and consciousness around corporate social responsibility. Mm -hmm. right and also ESG right and you'll see that especially in bigger companies you know there are different things that organizations are supposedly doing about corporate social responsibilities you know one of the the sort of more common ones that I've come across was they enable their employees to have a few days of volunteer days that they can choose to do whatever they want so I think that's an example right good now what I'm talking about here is that if you look at this world that we're in, which, you know I painted a picture before the Internet and now with the Internet and now being the digital world, and that's why my research places it in the context of the digital world and the digital economy. What it assumes is that this is the digital world. Does that mean that people have a choice, or people have no choice to be part of it? What happens to those who are not part of it because they can't, or, or because they choose not to? Then what happens? But what I want to start from is the fact that we, as technology professionals, this domain is our domain of expertise. We are all qualified to help the next person who needs our help. So the question is, what can we do to harness that ability, that superpower that we have, right? Because, you know, we may take it for granted, oh, no big deal, we got it. But you know what? There's a lot of people when they come across us, they'll be thinking, wow, this person's got a superpower. They know how to turn a phone on and, do something smart with it. And we need to acknowledge that there's a lot of people out there that cannot do that for many reasons, right? A, a simple way to relate to it would be that we've got to look at it, it's, it's very, very complex because it's intertwined with many other social issues like you know, poverty and homelessness and all those things. But if you look at it from three dimensions, you know people tend to look at it as have or have not, right? But it's not about have or have not because the have or have not is just one dimension about accessibility and affordability. There's also about can and cannot, right? Whether, right? But there's also another one which is uh will or will not. So you can see, I've just only drawn out three dimensions, but there's a lot more to this thing. The point about personal social responsibility is that we as technology professionals, because we have this special skill, not special skill, a, a, a quite a valuable skill that we take for granted, but people see as a superpower. We should do something with it every day where possible to help our neighbor, to help our friends, to help somebody in society who needs our help. And that's what personal social responsibility is about. It's something that we don't have to wait for anybody. It's something that is within us, within our ability. And you know what, by just helping one person is already has got a very profound, impactful impact on everything else that happens in society.
0: I appreciate you sharing that and it is so important and I think when you gave your first example around you know reaching out to other technology professionals to get some devices and hardware and connectivity in the hands of people that didn't have access to it um, for various reasons you know that's one person like you said your own personal social responsibility pushing that and moving that forward to create a wave of generosity and taking care of our communities and i I think that's so important um you and i talked about you know um diversity in tech and in canada there's certainly you know very bleak stats around women in our sector so you know i'm personally looking at and i am supporting uh, an organization that you know trains and exposes young girls to coding and being a tech leader and all the things that that to motivate them to go to the next step. And, you know, so I think it's just that, that passion that connects with it as well. And certainly from a technology standpoint, there is that opportunity to make so much change in others' lives. So I really, really appreciate you sharing what you've been doing and, um, you know, look forward to learning more about it in the future as well. So I wanted to shift my last question here to talk about an innovation, and obviously uh, but a hot, hot topic in market right now, which is Gen AI and LLMs. They're so prevalent in discussions about innovation and with the CIOs and senior tech leaders I'm speaking with. So I was hoping, Freddie, you could share your views on Gen AI and LLMs and perhaps some of the ways you're looking at deploying or what you're seeing in market right now.
1: Uh, here, so here is yeah, another example where you know we are opinion leaders on things that happens all the time you know it was only not that recently uh not that soft of, uh, uh uh long ago that you know i was talking about metaverse and then not that long ago we talk about <laughs> ai and not that long ago we talk about blockchain you know what i mean so it just keeps on going on and on so first of all the technology is not new you know even when i was at uni more three decades ago at that time, I learned about image recognition, about expert systems, you know, it, it, it's all been there. But I think it's it's more to do with the fact that um the big tech companies like Google and Facebook that has made this technology available and mainstream application that is helping people to understand the power. For example, you know, like you know, with image recognition is is it it is quite precise because you are talking about uh understanding objects and recognizing objects. And this is why, you know, you have Google maps and your sort of face recognition technology. They are very advanced today. And that's why we have driverless cars. Those are things that are made possible by technology. Now, the difficult problem to solve is in publishing where I've been for a long time, where, you know, we're dealing with words, words which are imprecise, words which are, has got, you know, different meanings and interpretations. It's got sentiments. And I was very curious about when the day will come when something like this would happen. And I've been blown away by, you know, as we all know, ChatGPT being launched in November. And then, you know, suddenly the whole world, for me, I describe it as like the pandemic of the (laughs) technological world with this piece of technology. Because suddenly everybody knows about it. Everybody talks about it. Everybody's using it. Um, So I welcome this latest technology innovation. As you can see, it's an enabler right therefore it's a good thing because that's what a lot of things you know if you sort of look at what it's supposed to do but life is never about absolutes right about being good or bad and 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 in in, inherent in us humankind is that we are fallible, we are gullible we are not perfect and yet we're dealing with a world where that is not where they come from right where it's everything is either right or wrong if you give it good stuff it will give you hopefully more good stuff, if you give it bad stuff, then the chance of it going very bad will be very bad. So I think we need to be embracing the fact that there's this technology just like any new technology. But of course, you know, back to that personal social responsibility, we as technology leaders, we got to remember what is the definition of a technology leader? The modern version, by the way, part of my research is that the, the definition that I have used is that there are four dimensions to a technology leader's role, right? being technology savvy obviously you assume that you know enough right that's fine but you know what it's a commodity that everybody knows that now too so there's no longer your usp being business savvy meaning that being able to apply technology to business needs i think that is key which is why a lot of leaders are in that space that's why you got cios and whatnot being at the top table blah 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 but there's also two other dimensions being ethical right? I think that is something that, again, leaders, some of them are aware and talk about and decided that they would do certain things or not to do certain things. But the fourth one, which again is coming into consciousness, is being socially conscious. So what does socially conscious mean? It can mean many different things. It can relate to sustainability concerns that we have, therefore it's part of ESG. But it can also relate to this topic of you know, uh, being wary about what AI can do for us. So this is why if we as technology leaders, we embrace that definition that we have those four dimensions to address as a leader, that you know what? It becomes our responsibility to guide the development, to guide the assessment, to guide the implementation of all these things with responsibility. So back to the responsibility about that personal social responsibility. So that is my view, and I hope that makes some sense.
0: It totally does. I mean, those four principles, guiding principles, so many tech leaders talk about the guiding principles or the North Star. And so I think what you're saying is bring those guiding principles together. Personal social responsibility is a big part of it. But from a business perspective, that lays on top of business as well. So that was an excellent uh, overview of your thoughts around it. And I appreciate it very much. And I appreciate you joining us here today. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Freddie.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. And if you're interested in learning more, please don't hesitate to visit us at CIO.com front slash UK. Thanks again.